It's, uh, it's actually beautiful uh, watching a crew. It's amazing when people can work together the things you can pull off. It's hard to believe that next Sunday is uh, my last Sunday here. I was going over some uh, notes that when I first came here in 2001, and this next week, I have to learn Spanish and lose 20 pounds. So pray for me uh, so I can make those goals as... Issel said there's a better chance I'll learn Spanish than lose 20 pounds, but it's... As we come together, the question is, well, what's going to happen next? Well, now you have this uh, uh, incredible gifted pastoral staff that you have here. But we're bringing in some uh, remarkable, some of the best, honestly, some of the best preachers around. And we have a slide here of some of the ones coming up. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, who is a member here at Bel Air, authored about 27 books or so. He's going to be uh, on the first week. And then Jeff Ramstad, who uh, helps train uh, Navy SEALs and just a remarkable story about faith. Of course, uh, Dr. Lloyd Ogilvie, who was the Senate chaplain, uh, the one who invented the human voice, uh, just a great guy. Erwin McManus, Tony Campola, and Dr. Richard Mao, as well as your great pastoral staff. I mean, I'm going to come back and listen to these people. And so as you, we find out as we move ahead, but not only that, well, who's going to be guiding and leading? And here's where Presbyterians are actually really rock, and that's in the process of transition. And we have not only do we have a remarkable ordained and professional staff, but our elders and our deacons. And I'd like to ask any of you here who are elders and deacons, would you come up front at this time so that uh, we can pray for you? I want to show you these faces. These are your elders, the ones that oversee with the gifts of, of overseeing and what would be called bishop. Come on up here, guys. Our deacons, if you have any deacons here, come up likewise. These are the ones more with the gifts of service. These are the people that love you and come to you when you're in the hospital, care for you, take the food to the poor, uh, even pick up trash on Mulholland, yes, and coming alongside. So if you see somebody with, uh, out there picking up trash, go ahead and throw something out to give them something to do. No, I'm kidding. But uh, these are the men and women who uh, love you and serve you. I mean, the talent is one thing, but their hearts for, for the Lord. Their, Bella is in such great hands. And coming alongside our our committee already has been formed to be looking for the interim pastor, and things are moving ahead. But I wanted to pray for these. These are the people that have not sinned for three years because they were in a coma. I don't know if you know that or not, but would you do something? Would you put your hands out forward to them? If you guys lay hands on someone's shoulder next to you, and let's pray for our leadership as we go to this next chapter. God Almighty, we take these hands, and we ask you, O oh Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, to not only fill these men and these women your leaders, but as this congregation. We thank you, Lord, for the wealth of minds and hearts that you've given to this church, and we look forward to the next transition, God. The great things you're gonna do, even greater things, and we know that, Lord. That's not just words, because you are alive. So bless them, keep them close. Uh, give them a spirit of joy and of power and of the love of Christ. And we pray this for his name's sake. And all of God's people said, amen. I'll show our love and appreciation for these guys, yeah, and the things that they do there. All righty, guys. Honestly, uh, there's so many things that I'm going to uh, miss uh, about uh, Bel Air. But one of the things I have never before uh, in any of the churches I've had, and I've had some great congregations, wonderful people, uh, but I almost apologize to other pastors because they're always fighting with their elders and stuff and just the way that you have got incredible uh, people. Sometimes we find ourselves, you know, in situations where you can't get ahead without others. That's called a life. Like the story of the older couple went in for their annual physical, and as he was getting dressed, uh, the doctor said to his wife, can I talk to you outside? And so he 
She said, what's up? And he said, well, he's got this rare disease. He's gonna be all right if you do the right things. And you've gotta take care of him. You've gotta really pretty much wait on him. He can't get any stress. You can never be mad at him. And you gotta cook this special meal, almost like it's a gourmet meal, but you gotta do this. You do this and it'll be all right. She said, I understand. And so driving home, uh, the husband said to the wife, well, what did the doctor say to you? And she took him by the head and said, honey, you're not gonna make it. <laughs> How do we make it in life? And we come alongside, I don't know if I want to get that far along. Paul's writing this, as we said, to his son in the faith. And what would you say to someone, if you knew you were going to die, and you knew when it came it was going to be quick, it's called an execution, what would you say to someone saying, now here's what I want for you to remember. Paul says this to Timothy, get working. He doesn't say, go make a lot of money and make a lot of status and a lot of fame, but he's saying, Timothy, rekindle, reignite the gift that God has given to you. On this uh, Reformation Sunday, Martin Luther had a great quote. He was actually quoting Francis of Assisi, re-quoting it from 400 years earlier. Someone asked him, he said, if the world were to end tomorrow, I would plant an apple tree today. What in the world, why would you say that? If the world were to end tomorrow, he said, I would plant the seeds of a tree that would grow fruit for somebody else. Because it's not my worry or job with time and life, that's God's problem. My concern in life is that I plant the seeds, not the trees, the seeds of the things that God could use and leave the results to him. Thomas Kempis, said that the wise person, the wise lover values not so much the gift of the lover as the love of the giver. And you and I, if we want the best life we could ever have, we don't seek the things in the hands of God, though those are great, we seek his heart. And the wonderful story, the strange story that we sit here talking this morning is that Christ has conquered he has conquered death, he has conquered Satan, he has conquered sin, he is alive, and all the wealth of the conquering hero, he doesn't keep, he gives to you and me. And the love behind this is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And every one of us in here have been wired with one of these, and it's a combination, a mixture of the Holy Spirit. And as Paul's writing to Timothy, he's reminding him, use your gift, Timothy. And if you never really use your gifts, remember this, and your gifts are given by the Lord for the good of the body, not yourself, your life is always gonna seem weird. It's always gonna seem out of joint because the Holy Spirit is trying to move you and push you forward to a place because he's wired you this way and we're always going, no, no, no. It's just this weird experience. But when we quit fighting and say, all right, Lord, you do it through me, bang. He starts to release the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and patience, and the things we try to pump up on our own. Well, if you've got your Bible, let's turn back and take a look at this on 2 Timothy and page 966. And this isn't just Paul's opinions. This is born out in life and the Holy Spirit inspiring him. And I think of uh, opinions... I always laugh, Rodney Dangerfield, he said, he got no respect. He said, he went to his psychiatrist, and his psychiatrist said, uh, you're crazy. He said, I want a second opinion. He said, you're also incompetent. But <laughs> when you take a look at this and you say, what, what is God saying? Look what he says here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
for the sake of, and this is a wonderful phrase, the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience. As my ancestors did when I remember you constantly my prayers night and day. Well, what's this thing about a clear conscience? Timothy is being told by the entire world, everybody we're going to see next week has deserted Paul, but about a handful. Even the church, because this guy is a dung magnet. He is a lightning rod. You get around Paul, you're going to have troubles. And they're telling Timothy, Paul's a heretic. God doesn't love the Gentiles. The Gentiles have to become Jews, then the Jewish Messiah will accept him. And Paul says that is false, that is a lie. God accepts us now on the basis of what Christ has done. So he's telling Timothy, remember that. Then he says this great word. I long, recalling your tears. Why is Timothy crying? Because he knows Paul's gonna be killed. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. It's sincere, from the Latin sincere, it means without wax. When you were selling a statue from antiquity, if it was broken or something and it would devalue it, they had a particular wax that they could melt and harden and look just like marble or the granite statue. So it had been damaged, but you'd never know it. Sincere means without wax. It's the real deal. And a lot of us have, we pump up this faith that we have, but the sincere faith is the real thing, the honest thing. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I remember your sincere faith. A faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I know lives in you. You know, the role of a grandparent. It's the old line, and particularly a grandmother's. I like being a grandfather. Carolyn's out of control, but you know, it's always answering that question, how can a loser son-in-law have the perfect grandchild? But I can't use that line anymore. But you take a look at this love that his grandmother Lois had for him. And also his mother, Eunice, and I know lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that's with you for the laying on of hands, because he's laid it down. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. I had a discussion with someone this last got you two weeks ago, and it was a rather angry discussion. And he was telling me that pretty much every Christian he had ever met was a liar and a cheat. And so I was talking to him, because he's on our ordained staff, and uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> and, and what had happened, he had gone into business with somebody, and he was a Christian, and, and really robbed from him. And so the question of, well, who is a Christian? Winston Churchill, when he addressed the joint Congress of the United States in 1942, after Hitler had taken over Fortress Europe, England was about ready to be invaded, half of the American fleet was on the bottom of the sea in Pearl Harbor, being bombed by Japan, and Churchill addressed for the first time the United States as it declared war. And Churchill said an interesting thing in the speech. He got up and he said, who do these people think we are? Speaking of Hitler and Tito. Who do these people think they are? Then he said, 
Do they not know we will never give in our fight against them until they are utterly vanquished? Who do they think we are? We're just going to surrender to them? How have they misread us? Who does the world think we are? Who does the world think we are as Christians? Better yet, Bel Air, who do we think we are? How do we perceive ourselves? Do we perceive ourselves as someone trying just to get through life, make the best of it, squeeze a little bit of joy, maybe have some friends, maybe get a little recognition, see the world, have a lot of pictures on our phone of the places we've been? And Paul tells Timothy, you are a daughter and a son of the living God. I'm not using hyperbole. It is literally true. Do not forget that. But the only way you remember that is when you let the Holy Spirit use you in your gifts. It's an identity theft, if it will. And you know, we are called to stand and to be salt and light. And as we get close to the election, may it be over soon. As we get close to it, and as you vote, and as you vote as your heart, and you vote the biblical values you think that's going to help the most, we don't win by just the power of the voting booth, and we don't win by just pontificating, dehydrating, and standing around. We win by the lives that we live. I mean, we got a great privilege to be able to vote, and I thank the Lord. When we get to glory, the vast number of brothers and sisters will be will have no concept of democracy. You prayed and hoped maybe you had an emperor or a king or a queen that would do right. But the idea that you and I can be involved in the selection of leadership of a nation is a bizarre little blip on human history. But what changes the world is not how we vote. What changes the world is how you and I live. And you and I have been wired by the Holy Spirit in a particular way. Three different places Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And in Ephesians 4 as well as in 1 Corinthians 12, but, and also in Romans 12. In fact, let's take a look at that. Turn over to Romans, the 12th chapter. It's on page 922 in your pew Bible. Paul has not been to Rome. Yeah, he wrote this long ago, obviously, before he's on death row. But look what he says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many, and the Greek word is mele, it's more like organ, many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we or many are one body in Christ, and individually we are mele, members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry and ministering. The teacher and teaching. The exhorter and exhortation. The giver and generosity. The leader in diligence. The compassionate in cheerfulness. Now, as you notice that he says that we are members of one another and that word organ. If I have told you this several times, if I was biting my fingernails, you would say, well, that's really pretty uncool. If I had clipped my fingernails a week ago so when I was nervous I could take them out and chew on them, you'd say, that's really gross. Anytime anything leaves the body, it becomes vulgar. If you find a hair in your salad at lunch today, it might have more protein in it than what you're eating, but you want it back. Anytime anything leaves the body, it becomes vulgar. And we're going to end with the illustrations right there. <laughs> that feeling you get when you have that hair out there that doesn't belong in your salad, is the idea that if you think you can be a Christian on your own, that God gets looking down at you. He's like, that's gross. That's disconnected. 
I had someone all the time tell me, well, my religion's a private thing. Deprivation is the same word as private. And we live deprived lives. The moment we say because people have hurt us or they're hard to get along with, we distance ourselves and we put a kill zone around ourselves. And that's why Paul says, Timothy, rekindle, start up again, let the Holy Spirit, this gift that has given you. And he says, for God does not give us a spirit of cowardice. And it's interesting, it's not the word phobos, it's not fear. It's a different word meaning in the face of fear, following your fears. Eddie Rickenbacker, the great ace of World War I, who at times would do insane things in his aircraft, being outnumbered like 10 to 1 against the German planes that he would fly in the middle of those crazy dogfights of the first World War. And afterward, someone said to him, you are such a courageous man, what's it like to have no fear? And he said in the press conference, no fear, are you kidding? He said, I wet my pants more than once. He said, courage isn't no fear, it's what you do in the face of fear, doing the right thing. If God gives you and me courage, it's not that we don't have legitimate scenarios we play through our mind, well, what if this happened, well, what if that happened, well, this could happen. It's when in the face of those things that we're afraid of, we pull the trigger and do the right thing by God's power through us, serving those that are hard to serve, loving those that are hard to love. God gave us a spirit of power dunamis and of love and of self-control. You have two brains. Everyone knows this, not a left and right brain, a thinking brain and a feeling brain. And all the imaging, I was talking with the neuroscientist after the first service, I always have to be careful with my illustrations with this church. Um, but it's very true, and what we're finding out is that the feeling brain acts sometimes much faster than the thinking brain. It's very fast, but it's also very sloppy. And once you trigger that emotional memory you have, you hit that tripwire, and all those chemicals go floating over your brain. You go along for the ride. So when you're afraid, and Paul is saying, don't contract, Timothy, step out. And you step out, not because you trust yourself. You step out, Timothy, because you trust God. And there's really kind of these three different primary colors that I say for the gifts of the Spirit. Like all these colors here come from three primary colors. There are gifts of service, equipping, and worship. Gifts of service, the joy is in doing the act. And you go, well, how do I know what my gift is? Well, what feeds you as you feed others? And by the way, where's the area you bear fruit? Everybody will tell you, <laughs> any kind of uh, CEO or somebody that's trying to hire others, as well as developmental psychologists, we think we know what our gifts are, and it's stunning how little we do. We think we know our strengths, and they're usually not our strengths at all. And we think we know our weaknesses, and they're not our weaknesses. Because the things we like sometimes are not the things we're good at. And that's why you need to have a small group or somebody, a church like this, so you can try to use your gift. If you don't know what your gift is, try it. If it's not your area, people will tell you, not your gift. <laughs> but not in a mean way. In a way, say, let's find your gift. And so there's these gifts of service, of prayer, of administration. Those are ushers helping out. Those that come and take a hands here. Those that organize and administrate. The joy is in the act itself. Then there's equipping gifts, like a coach. 
Your deacons up here are much more in the serving gifts, and the joy is in helping. Your elders are the equippers. They're the overseers. Dan Issel, you know, our uh, executive director, he's an NBA Hall of Famer. He said it's really fun, you know, to, on your own, shoot that basketball and win that game. But he said it's a whole different fun when you win through the hands of five other players as a coach. It's one thing when you get it done. It's another thing when you have to get it done through this messy thing called other people. And that's why I am starting feel, feel called, not driven, but the sense of call to be able to help others, other pastors, to be able to grow and to stay into this fight and to equip them. And it's very much from the discipleship that I learned from you. And as equipping gifts, then worship is so important that God gives gifts just for worship. Do you know one of the only declared heresies of the Presbyterian is dispensationalism, extreme dispensationalism, that says that the gifts of the Spirit ended with the first century? I believe in the the gift of tongues. I don't think everybody has the gift, as some of my Pentecostal brothers and sisters think you can have a prayer language. I disagree with them. And for those of you that are new to Christian faith, what am I talking about? That as you pray, that you have a language that you don't understand, but it's not for you. And those that I think really have this gift, I ask them to pray for Bel Air in that. There are gifts of prophecy. There's gifts of singing, of worship. Oh, I would love, if I could sing like this, I'd be singing all the time. I've asked to be in the choir my entire life. Never gonna happen, I tell you that. In fact, they always threaten when they want to do a funny to turn my mic on when I'm singing. You'd all say, not your gift. One of the fun things using your gift, I love this lady's voice when she sings behind me because it is so good, I just go along for the ride, and then she'll quit singing, and I hear myself, and then I weep. But as, actually, Carolyn weeps then, but as you use your gift, and as others use their gift and push out, then you have this power, and they start to release that fruit of the Spirit into you. And so, as we live for ourselves, we end up impoverishing our life unbelievably. You know how you conquer this culture? The way they're doing it overseas. Pastor Lee and Lou who were here, that's a pastor and his wife overseeing at least 10,000 people in one of their churches. That's the staff. Ponraj up in India, in northern part, the poorest province in Italy, he is baptizing thousands of people. When he baptizes them, it's not like a stadium rally. They have to be in a local church, and he has a staff of four. How do they do it? Because what's changing their lives there is not the pastoral staff and the programs, it's the Christians like you out in the marketplace, how they're living their lives, being honest, keeping their word, helping out others, and they're going, what is this about you? You got something that I want. And it's the people being set free to do the ministry that God has called them to do. It's the way it's always been, and I think it's going to come back. But that, that is driven out of a love. Audie Murphy, the most decorated soldier of World War II, when they asked him afterwards in an interview, and he came out here to L.A. to do those early films, and they were asking, talking about how he would put his life on the line, I don't know how many times, this crazy guy, he was 17 years old when he went into the war, and they said, you must really love the United States Army to do that. He said, I don't love the United States Army. They said, well, you must love your country. He goes, well, I love my country, but that's not why... I said, well, why did you do that? He said, I love my platoon. 
this little group that I knew that if I didn't put my life on the line, they would die. I loved those guys. I didn't love the army. And we're called to love, of course, the church of God around the world. But you can't even love Bel Air. That's why you gotta have a small group. That's why you gotta have some men and women that you say, I would put my life on the line for these people. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? What would you do to them? Well, first of all, I'd run my visa up to the max. I'd go out there and do that. <laughs> but what'd you do? You know what you should do? Exactly what you're going to do. That brings pleasure to God. It brings pleasure when you live your life, an ordinary life. God, what we call ordinary, is miraculous, all the things around us. Do you know there are flowers blooming on the other side of those mountains that no human eye will ever see? There are bizarre sea life creatures, beautiful and dazzling in the bottom of the ocean, no person will ever see. Do you know why God made them? He thinks they're cool. Not for the ecosystem. He loves and delighting and it brings him pleasure. When you go out here and you use and you live your ordinary life, even in this crazy city, in a way with love and power and self-control to stop those self-destructive impulses we have by the Holy Spirit, not on your own. That brings pleasure to God. And when it brings pleasure to God, God does things. But you know, we don't like the gifts God has given us. By the way, one gift never really appreciates another gift as much as your own gifted area. Administrators can't understand people that don't administrate. People with gifts of compassion can't understand people that are leaders. Leaders can't understand people that care so much about it. You know, I've told you before, I can do certain things. I thought I was gonna be a psychologist. My undergrad's in psychology, but I found out that sad people bum me out, so I didn't do that, you know. And <laughs> I can tell you, people will come to me and tell me their problems. I've told you this before, and I just say, bummer. <laughs> Should have seen the last guy. He's a lot worse than you, man, but. Uh, but I can do that, but people like Care or Laura or Caring Team that can see 10 people in a row and get energized by it, I just can't relate, but I thank God for them. They care, I don't. And, you know, that's not true. <laughs> and your gifted area. Now, that doesn't mean you can't do things that's out of your gifted area. If we ask you later on to help pick up trash or to pick up some chairs, you can't say, I don't have the gift of chairs. I'm sorry, that doesn't. No, there's certain just service, things that you do. Sometimes, though, we don't like what God has given us. What if right now we played musical wallets? What if we all took our wallets out and we passed them around until the music stopped and that's what you ended up with? By the way, if you do that, you wanna to go to the nine o'clock service. That's all I'm gonna tell you. Uh, <laughs> don't go to the six o'clock. Those are poor people there, uh, but. <laughs> Why? Why this? What about we don't like the crosses we have to bear? Remember the guy that said, I am sick of this cross I have to bear, and he stormed up to heaven, and the great angel, he said, I don't like this cross I have to bear, it's not fair. And the angel said, all right, come into me, and he came into a room, and there were all sorts of different crosses, and he said, you lay yours against the wall there, and you go pick out some cross you want. And he went to, there was a really big one, he didn't want to carry that one, there was a little one, he was looking around after a couple hours, he saw one, and he went over, yeah, this is the burden, he could do this one. So he goes, this is the cross I want to bear, and the angel said, that's the one you brought in. <laughs> Why this physical affliction on my body? 
Why this disappointment in my family? Why did that happen in my dating life? How come my career is doing this? Why this misopportunity? I don't like this cross. Well, we don't understand. God is not angry or deaf. God is creating, and he is creating us into the very image of his son. And he won't quit until we are there. But when we get there, he says, at last, I can put some real power into your hand. Things that we can't even conceive of, the scriptures tell us. You can't even imagine the glory and the wonder. But if we're not willing to exercise and use and serve this church or wherever your home church is, for those of you watching, you use those gifts to help with our children or with our student ministries or help to pass out these bulletins or as an usher or on our prayer team or going downtown with Enoch overseas or connecting together or with our men's group or with our women's group. When you say, yeah, you can count on me and in my small group, then the Lord can start releasing that spirit into our life. People say, what should it take? Well, I said, God cares about your money. If 10% seems to be what the, the starting point for Christians. If you're not giving 10%, don't give nothing because of that. Start somewhere. I think it's about five to 10 hours a week, about as much time as one night or long night of television that you give to the local church. And a lot of you do that. You keep your wallets, you honor the Lord, you keep your zipper, your sexual life up, and you, your hat size, your ego, and you exercise spiritually. And I wanna tell you, in the coming years, 98% of the stuff that greases Christians in the fight won't hurt you. You'll have your life positioned in that way. And God calls us not to be sovereign, not to be in control, but to try. Clarence Jordan in the 1960s marched with Dr. King, and he was from Mississippi. He was a white boy, and he started something called the Koinonia Farm. And African-Americans and whites came together, and they were growing food together and building shops. And one of the local racists down the road came up and said, boy, you're going to knock this thing off. He didn't say it. He just kept growing and inviting. And, and one weekend, after they'd worked almost seven years to build this little farm and get things going as kind of a co-op to share and to help whites and blacks working together in Mississippi. Clarence Jordan went off for a retreat with his people to pray and seek the Lord. When they came back, the entire farm had been burned to the ground, everything. Nothing left, not a thing. And the next day, Jordan went out and he took a rake and he started to go through the embers that were left in the charcoal and looking to see if there's anything. And this good old boy came up in a pickup and he got out and he said, what do you think went on here? Jordan didn't say anything, he just kept working. He said, this is what happens to people like you. What kind of a success are you now? Clarence Jordan said a great thing. He said, sir, God did not call me to success. He called me to faithfulness. I'm gonna build it again. You can see it there today. God didn't call us to the success that the world thinks. He calls us to faithfulness. Are you using your spiritual gifts? I don't know that they're as frozen as we think. 
just this gift, just this gift. I think because the Holy Spirit gives them for the good of the body, I think it's more fluid than we think. Are you open for the Lord to use you? Say, I want to use you in healing. Or I want to use you in reaching out and starting. I want to use you in teaching. And you go, me? Yeah, are you open for that? It's not up to you. It's up to the Holy Spirit. And above all, do you realize the spirit of power and of love and of self-management that God can give. Jesus said, look up, look up, look up, look up to his disciples. You see the fields? They're ready to be harvested. He's talking, by the way, of a bunch of Samaritans, half-breed Jews that the Jews hated. And he's saying to the disciples, you look out there? Can you see how this thing's ready for harvest? He said, pick up your gift and let's go get it. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? Lord, do I thank you that you have called us not to a life of ourself and a private little liver shiver with you, but this messy thing calling being your church. And God, I thank you for this church at Bel Air Presbyterian and all the gifts that you have given to these men and women that have so blessed my life and Carolyn and our families. God, I thank you that we can be a part of the unstoppable move of Christ, Lord. And we can't wait for the day that you return and we are all gathered together forever and the real adventure begins. Until then, Lord, may we be found faithful in how we serve you. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless the gift and the giver alike as we give to you right now, as we use our time and our talent, that Jesus Christ might get all the attention. He alone is worthy. And we pray these things in his name because he gets answers. Amen.